Chapter 2 of D99. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Jerry Pyle. Chapter 2 Caster P. Smith sat at the head of his steel and plastic table in the conference room, whistling thoughtfully as he waited for his assistance. Next door, in the communications room, the tortured tune his lips emitted would have been treated as deliberate jamming. Simonetta Diario entered carrying a recorder, and he roused himself for a smile of appreciation. You won't forget to turn it on when you start, Mr. Smith, she pleaded. I'll keep my finger on the switch until then, he grinned. Thanks, Sai. Left alone again, he told himself he would have to do something about the reputation he was acquiring, quite without foundation, he believed, for being absent-minded. After all, he was hardly likely to forget to record a conference when it was his own idea. So many ideas were tossed around on a good day that some were bound to be lost, unless they were down on tape. Even a good steno like Simonetta could not guarantee to keep up with it all when two or three got to talking at once. Generally, he admitted to himself, he erased the tape without the necessity of filing some brilliant solution. Still, the one in a thousand that did turn up made the precaution worthwhile. He stared morosely at the volume of the galatlas he had brought from the communications room. Sometimes, in this job, he lost his sense of galactic direction. Calls were likely to come in from stars of which he had never heard. Wish I could get a little more help from the DIR, he thought. It's more than having one secretary on vacation just now. We're always shorthanded. They never brought us up to strength since old Murphy blew himself up in the lab with that little redhead. Maybe Willie will grow into something. That will take years, though. We ought to have some kind of training school. In Smith's opinion... He should have had a larger force of full-time agents in the field, but he recognized the difficulties inherent in the immensity of Terran-influenced space. Even recruiting was a hit-or-miss process. He had made various working arrangements out of chance contacts with independent spacers. He supposed that it was unofficially expected of him, and most had worked out well. About a dozen routine cases were currently being handled out there somewhere by a motley crew of his own men and piratical temporary help. In addition, there were three hot cases that had required supervision from headquarters. I wonder if we should stay a little late tonight, he asked himself. I hate to ask them again, but who knows what will break with this new skullcracker. He looked up as Pete Parrish entered. His dapper assistant walked around the other end of the table and took a seat on the window side. I hear you have another one, he greeted Smith. Parrish was a trim man of 36 or 37, just about average in height but slim enough to seem taller. Smith was aware that the other took considerable pains to maintain that slimness. By his own account, he rode well and played a fast game of squash. The wave in his dark hair was somewhat suppressed by careful grooming. He smiled frequently, or at least made a show of gleaming teeth. But at other times, his neat, regular features were disciplined into a perfect mask. Thank God that he doesn't wear a mustache, thought Smith. That would put him over the brink. He was reasonably certain that Parrish had given the idea careful calculation and stopped just short of the brink. That would be typical of the man. He had been at one time a publicist, then a salesman, on Terra and in space. Actually, he should have been a confidence man. It was not until the department had stumbled across him that he had found opportunity to exercise his real talents. He was expert at estimating alien psychology and constructing rationalizations with which to thwart it. Smith realized self-consciously that he had been staring through Parrish. He passed one hand down the back of his neck, reminding himself that he must get a haircut. He could not imagine why he kept forgetting. It occurred to him every time he faced Parrish. He decided further to wear a freshly pressed suit the next day. Lydman padded in, glanced about the room, and sat down as near to the door as he could, 
without leaving an obvious gap between himself and the others. He eyed Parrish briefly and raised one hand to check the scarf at his throat. Lydman dressed unobtrusively and probably would have preferred an old-fashioned tie to the bright neck scarves favored by current fashion. I wonder why I'll get all the nuts, Smith asked himself, avoiding the beautiful eyes by looking squarely between them. Even the girls, people with romantic ideas of cloak and dagger work, or the ones that owe us favors, keep sending us peaches. Then they marry off or go around acting so secretive that they draw attention to us. Sometimes, he had to admit, he would have preferred having a babe marry and leave the department. Parrish was often helpful in such situations, which was only fair since he created most of them. Twice divorced, the assistant had lost none of his interest in women. He was as clever at feminine psychology as at alien. Well, I suppose you've heard something of the new squawk, Smith said to break the silence. I just don't see how we're going to reach this one. The damn fool got himself taken on an ocean bottom. He proceeded to outline the facts so far reported. Parrish received them impassively. Lydman began to scowl. The ex-spacer developed special grudges against aliens who attempted to conceal the detention of Terrans. First, let's see where we are before we tackle this, suggested Smith. I've given you enough on Harris to let it percolate through your minds while we review the other cases. It looks like something we should all be in on. Sometimes he would put a case in the charge of one of them, but they were accustomed to exchanging information and advice. This business of the two spacers who were nailed for unauthorized entry into the Sissokan system seems about ripe, he reminded them. Taranto and Myers, you remember. Oh yes, said Lydman, in a withdrawn tone. The dope. That's right. There was no trouble getting information about them, just in comprehending the idiot reasoning that would maintain a law that makes it a crime to crash land on that planet. Terra, like any other stellar government, has permitted one official resident there. Fortunately, we got the D.I.R. to slip him a little memo about us before he was sent out, and this is the outcome. They may even be on the loose right now. Let me see, mused Parrish. Bob gave you the formula for something that practically suspends animation, didn't he? Yeah, said Lydman. We figured on the bastards to carry the bodies out and dump them. A bunch of tramp spacers is standing by to pick them up. No reason why it shouldn't work, said Smith. Variations of it have been keeping us in business. Someday we'll slip up just by relying on it too much, but this looks okay. How is your Greenhaven case coming, Pete? Parrish hesitated before answering. He stroked the edge of the table with well-manicured fingertips as he considered. Maria Ringstag, he said thoughtfully. These reporters should be more careful, should have some knowledge of the cultures they poke into. Greenhaven is hardly a colony to swash a buckle through. I suppose she never thought they would bother a newswoman. Did you ever get the answer to what she was after on Greenhaven? Nothing. Just passing through, Paris snapped his fingers in contempt. She was on a space liner, en route to Altair 7, to gather material for a book. It stopped on Greenhaven to deliver a consignment of laboratory instruments. Those greenies, Lydman put in, are as crazy as bims. What a way to live. They have been described as the bluest colony ever derived from Terra, agreed Smith. I shudder to think of the life Pete would lead there. Paris smiled, but not very deeply. Miss Ringstad's mistake was fairly simple-minded, he said. They had official prices posted in that shop she visited for souvenirs. When they claimed to be out of the article she fancied, she had the bad taste to offer a bonus price. On Greenhaven, this is regarded as bribery, immorality, and economic subversion, to touch merely upon the highlights. Smith sighed. Why will these young girls run around doing? I don't believe you could call her a girl exactly, Parrish interrupted. Well, this lady, then. I wouldn't guarantee that either. Smith shrugged and pursed his lips. You'd be a better judge than I, he admitted innocently. I yield to superior qualifications. 
Lydman grinned. Parrish maintained his mask. I suppose that might make it even more dangerous for her, Smith went on. I forget what you said the sentence was, but suppose she starts to get smart in jail. Would any snappy Terran humor pass there? By no means, said Parrish emphatically. I would not expect them to burn her at the stake in this day and age, but they would talk about it as being one of the good old ways. Fortunately, their speaking and writing Terran makes this easy. Terrans are all black centers, but plenty of Terrans are necessary around the spaceports. We keep a few agents among them. One of them is going to pull the paper trick to Springer. I'd rather leave them a bomb, said Leibman almost to himself. Smith frequently wondered what such a rugged man should speak in so quiet a voice. At times, Leibman used a monotone that was barely audible. We hope to destroy all evidence, added Parrish. Otherwise, it will lead to the usual diplomatic notes, and the DIR will be telling us we never were authorized to do any such thing. Yes, said Smith, nodding wearily. Actually, you couldn't find our specific duties written down anywhere, and there is nothing we are forbidden to do either. As long as it succeeds. Well, none of us will see the day when the DIR will publicly recognize us to the extent of chopping our heads into the basket. They have been yapping at me, though, for drawing complaints in the Gerson case. Lydman had been sitting with his gaze narrowed upon a pencil gripped in his big fists. Now he raised his head, sensing interference in his own project. How can the Yolanites complain? They claim they don't even have Gerson. Easy, Smith soothed him. We have an embassy in Spaceport there, remember, that you've been relying on. You had them make some inquiries, didn't you? Had to confirm the report somehow. All we had was the story of a kidnapping from the captain of that freighter. It might not have been true. I realize that, said Smith. It would have been the first time a spacer got left behind because he didn't make countdown or because they didn't want him around to pay off. Sure, Parrish agreed smoothly. You could tell us about that. Lightman turned to look at him, so suddenly that a silence fell among them. Parrish averted his gaze uncomfortably and reached into the breast pocket of his maroon jacket for a box of cigarettes. He busied himself puffing one alight from the chemical lighter set in the bottom of the box. One day I'll have to pull them apart, thought Smith, and I'm not big enough. Where does my wife get the nerve to say the neighbors don't know what to make of an average guy like me, just because I can't talk about my work? At any rate, he said quietly, they took the attitude that even asked them about the incident was insulting. It seemed to rock the top brass. What do they know about Yolene, growled Leidman, giving up his scrutiny of Parrish. Not a thing, probably. They make decisions on the basis of how many toes they stubbed lately. Right now it sounds like only routine panic. That reminds me. I meant to check with Emil Stark about that. He shoved back his chair and stepped over to a phone table nearby. Switching on both screen and sound, he waited until the cute little blonde at the board came on. Pauline, get me Emil Stark at the DIR, please. Extension 1563. Yes, Mr. Smith, said Pauline, and disappeared from the screen. In a few moments, Smith was greeting a man of about 50, gray at the temples to the point of appearing over-distinguished. Listen, Emil, he said, getting down to business after the amenities about families and children had been observed. I have a case on my hands concerning a planet named Yolene. The man on the screen was already nodding. Yes, I heard they were chewing you out about that this morning, he said, smiling. I trust you preserve some sort of sangfroid. What's in their minds? asked Smith. Oh, it seems that the Space Force is nervous over the Yolinites. They are unable to evaluate the culture comfortably. To cover themselves, I imagine they send a warning now and then on the possibilities of hostile relations. Anything to it? Stark grimaced briefly. Unlikely. Some of the lads upstairs let it make them nervous. Smith chuckled. Upstairs. They came and went, but Stark and men like him ran things and knew what went on. Then I can go ahead without covering my tracks too deeply, he asked. I mean, I won't have to lie openly to my boss. Give him a few days to see the other side, Stark assured him. 
and he will be demanding to know why you have not taken steps. Have them taken by then. Smith thanked him for the advice, switched off and returned to his place at the table. Nods from the others confirmed that they had heard. I have a feeling about those Yolanites, grumbled Lydman. Smith waited for elucidation, but the big man had sunk into contemplation. The other two eyed him, then each other. Paris shrugged ever so slightly. Smith nodded his lower lip. Well then, you'll be going ahead with what you planned, he reminded Lightman. Oh sure, answered the ex-baseman, snapping out of it. Can't help it. I've already sent him something useful. The others smiled. Something useful was Lightman's term for a cleverly designed breakout instrument. Smith hoped that in this case it would not turn out to be a bomb. We dug a little mechanical crawler out of the files, Lightman went on. The Yolanites seemed to build their cities like a conglomeration of pueblos, very intricate and with hardly any open streets. There would probably be a hundred routes into Gerson, even if we knew exactly where he is. The gadget is adjusted to home on certain body temperatures, which it can detect at some distance. And Gerson would be the only living thing there at 98.6. Exactly. Of course, the thing has a general direction and search pattern microtaped in. That's the best they could do, because the boys have only a rough idea of where the cell would be. It sounds too easy to intercept, objected Parrish. That worries me a little, admitted Leidman. It would be worse to fly something in, and it's impossible to send anyone in because they say they haven't got him. The gadget is set to have an affinity for dark corners, at least. And how does it get him out? pursued Parrish. It carries a little pocket music player with microtapes that will actually play for a couple of hours. They can't tell for sure that Gerson didn't have it with him, if they spot it at all. When he opens the back as a little jingle in the first tomb will instruct him to do. He has a miniature torch hot enough to cut the guts out of any lock between him and the outside. Someone will be watching for him, I suppose, asked Smith. Sure, once he's out of the place, the Yolanites can hardly demand that we give back what they say they never had. Off to the embassy with him and on to the first ship. And I hope he kills a few of the bastards on the way out. They won't even have grounds for an official complaint. The other two avoided looking at him for a moment. Parrish stirred uneasily. I hope it... What I mean is, these Yolanites give me an uneasy feeling the same as they do you, Bob. Experience tells me that some of those hive-like cultures think along peculiar lines. No wonder the Space Force finds them hard to understand. I recommend that we open a general file on them. It might be just as well, Smith agreed, considering. They may give us more business in the future. He pushed back his chair and rose. Let's take a break while I see if any reports have come in. Then maybe we can work out something on the new mess. End of chapter 2